You were with us for episode 34 of the Rocky Talkie podcast. I am your host, Rocky Riccatoni. Joining me today in the alleyway just off Barton Street is Jamie Waldron of Waldron Meets. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Usually I have a longer intro, but I want to, I want to, I'm afraid of going too long, so I wanted to get the intro to you now. I just want to paint a little picture here. Um, Jamie, what's the, what's the dimensions of this little space you're in, in this little? 500 square feet. Okay, so we're, we're, we're sandwiched between, in, in an alleyway in the East End, and uh, it doesn't look like anything should be in here other than cars and relics. Um, and we are, we are in Hamilton's Hamilton part of the city, and nestled in this space is a very cool little meat factory of, <laughs> of uh, Jamie Waldron's wares, beautifully crafted meats, um, and my shop is too hot to actually host anything in there, so he was kind enough to let me come today and post up. We're sitting here at a steel table where he does a lot of his prep, and uh, I'm sitting on a bunch of milk crates, and he's drinking beer out of a uh, fluted glass. We're just making it work. Jamie, thank you for flexing and, and making, uh, making this happen, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I wouldn't miss it. So let's jump in, man. You're, you're a busy guy, and I don't want to keep you longer than I need to. I, um, as a chef, I'm, there's certain um, careers that surround the culinary world that most chefs always kind of secretly wish they were, they were doing or knew more about. Um, a few of them, namely, are uh, wannabe bakers. They wish they knew how to bake bread better. Uh, being a fishmonger, understanding how to like read a fish, prepare the fish, fillet the fish properly, and then there's the almighty butcher. It's the it's the a lot of chefs come to the table, uh, no pun intended, with just enough knowledge to do an appropriate amount of fabricating of meat, but generally most of it's lost on us unless you have the ability to learn under a master and you're and you're you're learning from them for two to five years most of us just know how to do the basic thing uh and most of us wish we knew more so I, right off the bat i have a huge respect for what you do um i've watched you open you've been open for about a year or so and i'm seeing your name pop up on more and more menus as the months go on so congratulations to you Dude, I would love to hear your story, um, how it all started, how long you've been doing it, and what, and what led you to becoming a butcher. Because it's, it's not easy work. It's hard work. Mm. But uh, why don't you give me the genesis of like how you got here, man, if that's okay, as we listen to the compressor fight us for long, but we're going to win this war. I'll, uh, I'll try to talk as cool. loud. Not, not as loud, but as uh, you know, ear-friendly as possible. Uh, okay. Cole's notes, I guess, because if we go into depth, it'll just, it'll just be wacky, but... Um, like when I got out of high school, I was just a directionless kid and I needed a job and some people that I went to school with, we had some mutual friends who were working in a shop at the town over from where I live. So I'm not born and raised Hamilton. Where are you from? Uh, south of Windsor in a little town called Harrow. Really? Right on Lake Erie. Okay. So yeah, so I went and worked the town over in kind of like quote unquote wine country in Kingsville, mm -hmm. uh, just at a small shop. And honestly, that's not... That's not really, I guess it is kind of the starting point because that job, I was a, I was again, a directionless kid, didn't have much, you know, didn't know what I wanted to do. So that job like lasted for a few months until I couldn't have, I distinctly remember not being able to have May 2 for a weekend off, so I quit. Ah, screw this, I'm out of here. As you do when you're 19. Right. So, but that job 
was what I needed to get into the real starting point in this career, which is going to work in Windsor at Remark Farms. Okay. And they've got a store in London too, so that might be familiar, but maybe not. Anyway, so I worked at Remark Farms for five years, I think, four or five years. And I tried like hell not to do it. That wasn't ever something I was interested in doing. So, but I just kind of stuck it out because it was a paycheck and again, didn't have a direction. So five, I, f- five year stint for a directionless kid. That's, that's pretty good, man. Well, I think it was just instilled the responsibility nature of it for me. Like I'm not a guy that, that can stay up late and get up early. Like that's just not, I still get up early, but you know, it's, it was just a responsibility thing right. for me. I needed money. I had a, a car payment and then cell phone payment maybe, I guess, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of contributing factors that I, I'm just a, I guess a responsible person. So I stuck it out, but there was a reason other than needing money. Like I actually fell in with the manager of the meat department there. Um, who was a super knowledgeable guy. He took me under his wing. He was a numbers guy, really taught me all that. So worked at Remarks for a while. Again, tried like hell not to do it. I, there was a brief stint in college that never panned out. And just a bunch of other things. Like, honestly, I feel like there was probably like a year or two in there where I had like seven or eight different careers right jobs that could have been careers right right but i always came back to butchery because hmm. i knew how to do it and remark farms apparently had a re- revolving door for me and i always had, was welcome back so anyway worked at remarks for uh, long enough that uh it opened up other doors and opportunities and then i much like so many other people fell victim to the food network yes food became big and you know what it's funny because you're talking about how chefs want to be butchers i had this like drive to be like a culinarian like right. in a kitchen doing it but then i thought I can't do those hours. Yeah. I can't do the lifestyle. I'm mm-hmm. terrible, again, at staying up late and, and doing all that stuff. It just didn't work for me. So I knew that I always had butchery to fall back on. So then I started taking it seriously. When I was watching guys like Gordon Ramsay and Jamie Oliver like go out and see the farms, yes. and that really opened up a lot of like those pathways for me. Yes. I started to think about, like, hey, where, like, where's the meat coming from that I'm working with? And So that just, yeah, that was the snowball. That was a catalyst. So maybe you know that started... Oh my goodness! I'm going to date myself. 25 years ago, that, we're on the same timeline. Yeah, yeah because I, I've been I've been cooking about roughly. About, I think you got about five years on me in terms of being with your hands to the plow and food kind of thing. I started when I when I was 24. I'm 44 now. Okay, but uh, are we in the same same age ish? I'm going to be 46 in October. Okay, awesome. It's funny you mentioned that though because there was there was a there was a crossover point with. Uh, culinary media where they started to kind of go deeper than just cooking on a television set and they started going and letting you in behind the veil of who's actually producing these these farmed animals and uh, I think I've, t- I think I've told the story before but one memorable moment was when Jamie Oliver was in Italy he was in Tuscany I think and he was staying with an Italian family um, and they hunted and slaughtered a wild boar I remember that yeah and he started uh breaking down into tears. He was so moved by the, by the beauty of this animal giving up its life um, and how, how much he could tell the family required his life to eat. And then there was the butchery and the actual slitting of the throat. Of the, and he's like, every, every human should experience this at least once because it will make you a better human. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was a really like... To say eye-opening is a little bit of a... It doesn't really do it justice. It, it, there was this, this level of silent, uh, silence and respect and an aha moment of like, it's so much more than just eating. There's, uh, if, you, if you roll it back to its truest essence, the preparation of food, whether it's whole hog or buttered toast, um, the origin of it is feeding humanity 
coming out of the wellspring of love from you as the person creating the food. And uh, that was really cool. So that, that leads me to my next question. You've mentioned that a lot of it was kind of utilitarian because you needed a paycheck and you just you fell into it. And actually, some of my favorite chefs fall into food mm. and they end up becoming phenomenal. Right. Was there a crossover point for you where the paycheck and the practicality of it turned into, hey, I actually think I love this? Yeah, so back in Windsor, um, I all of a sudden was... I felt I, I hit kind of a, a brick wall because there wasn't a lot that was interesting to me as far as like going into other shops or even people doing like food that was like outside the box. So like in my research that I was doing and just acquiring like all the books I could get off online and et cetera, et cetera, one book landed in my lap that kind of changed everything for me and that was the River Cottage Meat book. I don't know yes. if you've that one. That's He's like, a dude. That's the Bible. Of, He's a dude. Yeah. Nobody can top that. That is a, a book that will not be like... Do you watch his shows? His BBC shows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, they're yeah. so great. Yeah. So again, like, and then, then I take a, a deep dive into that. Right. So he exposes me to animal husbandry, how the animals are, are raised, etc. All those things that go into that. So then I'm, I'm just like on this knowledge quest for all these, you know, related subjects but this again this is going back a number of years so the internet isn't what it is today and we don't have amazon and we don't have all these other things so i'm paying unreal amounts of money for these books that like the river cottage meat book i have literally came from the uk from from uk yeah and it's like that one so like it's my prized possession that's amazing anyway (laughs) i won't doubt on that one too much but uh so yeah so that was a big moment and then you know youtube is catching on at this time and um I'm doing a little bit of searching and I find some interesting videos. It's, most of it is like, you know, um, more salesy stuff. Uh, but I do stumble upon a video where it's actually a guy breaking down uh, a whole head of beef for like a food service company or something. So it's, it's an interesting video, but then as YouTube does, it either leads you in one way or another. But mm-hmm. down the rabbit hole, I find this butcher showing different cuts that I've never been exposed to. Huh. Babettes, skirts, flat irons. That butcher is Stephen Alexander, who owns Cumbrays. Mm. And they're producing these videos that are on YouTube. And I'm just like, wow, these are pretty cool. So, like, watch all those. Learn, learn, learn. Um, some friends and I and my partner are going to Niagara for uh, a wine weekend or something. And on the way back, we go, well, we can't go to Toronto. It's a little bit out of the way. But Dundas, there's a Cumbrays at Dundas. Cool. Let, let's stop by. So I drag them out to go see a butcher <laughs> shop, which nobody wants to see. Um, but I end up getting like a tour of the place. The owner is there. It's not Steven. It's a, uh, that he owned the place in Dundas with at the time, Joe Amaral. So Joe takes me and gives me the tour of the place and we strike up a friendship and the conversation then becomes like through email and we keep in touch and then there's an offer. Wow. Do you want to come up and, and work for a week and try it out and see what you think? Amazing. Yeah. So I did that. I loved it. I convinced my partner to move up three hours away from our life in Windsor Wow! at the age of, I don't even know how old I was. I think I was coming up almost on 30 at that point. So yeah, we make the move up to Dundas. And That's amazing. I work at Cumbrace for the next four or five years. Wow. Yeah. That, that, I love that. That takes, that takes chutzpah to do that. And it's amazing. It's amazing when you, when you see right there, that shows me how much you actually care about it and beyond the paycheck because to, to transplant yourself and to convince a loved one, that's, that comes out of a, out of a wellspring of, Hey, I'm actually really passionate about this. That's incredible. So, and then, so take us from Cumbrace to going, okay, it's time for to open up my own scenario. The first time or second time? Give me both. <laughs> Give me both. I like so it already. We 
had an opportunity while we were living in Dundas to go back to the area. So Kingsville, which is where I had my first job, um, we partnered up with uh, a couple down there to open up a shop. So we actually moved back down there. Wow. It didn't last too long for us. Partnerships. I'm not sure what your experiences is with that. It's tough. Sometimes it works, sometimes it's it tough. doesn't. And this one most certainly did not work out. So we found ourselves in a situation where we were down there without anything. Mm. So we leave the business. I go and because I'm from the area, I have a lot of good contacts with people that I worked with. I go and end up working in a kill plant, a pork kill plant. That's intense. So my, the, the field leads me in this direction. So I'm working in this situation that not a fan of, right? Like I've done the work before. Um, I, and you know what, to go back in time, like, or to look back on it, it's fond, fond as, as I guess, is that a word appropriate to killing pigs for, <laughs> for four or five months? Anyway, did that. Um, but out of that, a, a, a random message on Twitter comes through, hey, do you want to write a book? To you? Yeah. Amazing. So Penguin Alpha reaches out to me. What? Because I guess I'm like the only butcher out there with a website or something like that. Whatever. However that comes about, I get an offer to write a book. So it's, it's, we're not talking about can you meet the River Cottage equivalent. We right. want the four dummies version of, of meat cutting. Did you? Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. So that falls in my lap. We decide, again, my partner and I, like, we don't have much going. I'm literally killing pigs. Right. She's, like, we're living in my parents' basement. This mm. is, like, that typical story, right? You hit, you hit, a, you hit a low, yeah. So uh, a job opportunity comes up. She is able to get her old job back where we once were, and we even have a better living situation. So we're like, this is stupid. Why are we staying here? So we come back up to the area. I fall into working with, at the time, it was uh, Landmark Group, now Pearl Hospitality. Yep, yep. Just let this up a little bit. So when I, yep. Yeah. So, there you go. There we go. So, um, yeah, I, I, I fall into uh, a job with Pearl Hospitality, now Pearl Hospitality, and set up a meat program for them. This book is birthed to the world. And Amazing. Yeah. So we're back in the area. And then... Wow. I wasn't on... I mean, the book usually follows five to ten years of crazy, <laughs> crazy success. It was kind of like that was the, the starting point of you actualizing your own thing in a town that was receiving you. So, like, I had been teaching a little bit of hands-on, and I'd been also doing, like, a lot of demos at restaurants. So that's a totally different chapter that we haven't even explored right. yet, is that I used to go into fine dining restaurants like Quadrifoil and break down a half a pig. And the chefs would be taking pork in the kitchen while this demo was happening and then prepare like a five-course meal. So here I am in a white linen tablecloth right. restaurant and breaking down pigs and people are like amped up and they're loving it. So anyway, I had all this. So I had a website that was advertising these things. So that was just, I'm sure somebody Googled butcher, teacher, whatever, yep. whatever keywords they hit. So... So yeah, so then we're up here and I, and a book comes out and, and I'm working for this restaurant group and, and, and life is okay. And that's where we're at. Um, let's see, and then how does the trajectory go from there? There's a Whole Foods stint in there somewhere. I don't know. Well, you were telling me as we were setting up, which, was, which I think is a really charming story that I think that the further you get away from it, the less stressful it'll be to, to recount it and it'll become <laughs> one of those cool stories. But you were basically, you, you, you referred to it as... Uh, couch surfing um, and piggybacking off of extra space in restaurants. Okay. So at Landmark Group at the time, did their meat program. Um, uh, you know what? Things, things just 
didn't work out. I think I needed something else to do. So I went back to Cumbrae's. Okay. They had a job opening for me. I knew the owner. I knew the manager. So we went back to Cumbrae's, worked there for about another three or four years. Um, and then went back to, sorry. <laughs> oh my God. I'm trying to keep the timeline. Uh, David, it, I have it's a not, It's not easy. I, I wish it was linear. No, it's, it's not. not. It never is. So a butcher shop opens up downtown on Barton and James. Yep. Okay. Go down there. That doesn't work out. But as that is not working out, Pearl Hospitality reaches out and says, hey, come back. So I go back out there. And then now the timeline starts to make a little bit more sense because as I'm at Pearl Hospitality, pandemic. Right. 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 So now everyone in the restaurant industry is- Changes everything. Exactly. Yeah. So I still have bills to pay and so do so many other people. And I start doing meat chairs. Amazing. So meat chairs is, turns into, I need a place to work. There's a- no shortage of restaurants with prep space that is not being used. So I reach out to Leo at Burnt Tongue. Yep. Great guy. He's my first stop. Oh, he's such a, he's such an awesome sweetheart. Guy. Yeah. So Leo says, yeah, no problem. Burnt Tongue on lock. Basement's empty. Right. Walk in. Empty. Great. Boom. Use it. That lasts for a little bit until they start loosening restrictions. I believe at that time he's like, hey man, we're going to start using that space. Yep. Okay. Great. So bench kitchen on yep. King Street. Yep. Right. Steve Bonin, I believe is his last name. A uh, mutual friend puts us in touch. Steve said, restaurant not being used. Go ahead. Empty walk-in. I, I, it's just like the skin of my teeth that these things are happening. That, again, he's like, you know what? We're breaking the lease. We've got to get out of this situation. Right. I find myself homeless again. Put in touch with another mutual friend, Dimitri at Brexos, who's no longer there anymore. Dimitri says, yeah, of course. Oh, but Dimitri's not there anymore. No. Okay. No, no. Uh, ben Dakin is now the head chef okay. at uh, Brex House. But anyway, so uh, Dimitri at the time was like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Go to Brex House. So then I've essentially couch surf at three different restaurants in Hamilton that have put me up and allowed me to do butchery out of the you're, space. You're, you're literally surfing. It's like as, as the surf starts to die off under your board, another way, you catch another wave. That's incredible, man. Like, so, I mean, I'm sure it was harrowing and unfun, but to look at it in hindsight, you literally had a floor to catch every step as you thought you were falling. That's pretty wild. I kid you not. Like, I, I have to thank like, my community of friends and network because right. there were some stressful times. Like, I've got, a, I've got a cow coming. Like, I've got a whole head of wow. beef coming. Like, where is, where is it going this week? Is See, it going to go to Bench Kitchen or Brex? Like, I don't know. So let's, let's just camp there. So the... One of the things that I'm fascinated about in this medium of you know podcasting is is finding out those things that the guests have as realities that I don't. So talking to a floral person, mm. realizing, wow, you have the same kind of timelines and delicate product and stress level as a chef catering a 300-person dinner. That's insane. No one knows what it feels like to go, I have a cow coming. <laughs> Where the hell am I going to put it? Yeah. That's insane. Uh I don't really know where it'll go from there other than just to acknowledge that as a snapshot, like that's a piece of your reality. Yeah. So were you okay with ending up? So for me, I'm a big fan of, of unusual workspaces. I love, you know, in Europe, they make space of wherever they can find it. And I've always loved the idea of a wine bar in an alleyway, like mm. Boston, another example, find space wherever you can find it, do something really cool in it. Yep. You are in an East end alleyway hookers hang out near here. Drug deals are happening. It's a part of the city that hasn't been gentrified yet. Here you are with, you know, five fridges making a living for your family. Mm-hmm. Were you, was this like a, a scenario where you needed something and, you, and desperation led you to this and signing the lease? Or were you like, oh, this is cool. This can be home. How did this happen? It's a series of just 
kind of almost things falling in my lap. Yeah. So you seem I, to be good at that. <laughs> tell me about it. I don't know. I feel, I feel like a cat sometimes. <laughs> um, so Bruck's house, again, restrictions are being lifted and, and I'm put in a situation, um, more on my shoulders than theirs because they were just the most kind people ever. Right. Never once said, Hey, time to pack it up, buddy. But it was just like, okay, this business is growing. There's no way that your fridge can accommodate what I need yeah. and what you need. Yeah. So I've got a real estate, I've got two real estate agents looking for spaces. Like I need a price point that I can afford, et cetera. I, I jump on Facebook marketplace and this place pops up. You know what, man? Shout out to Facebook Marketplace. I just bought something for five bucks today that would have cost me forty bucks at a guitar <laughs> store. Just sidebar, but yes, I get it. It's so you true. found you found it on Marketplace. I did. Amazing. It, like I had found a few other spaces, but the rent was like unreasonable for what they had. Mm-hmm. And, um, I found this spot and I sent it to uh, my good friend's mom, who was my real estate agent, and and we came and looked at it it was literally what you see four walls in a garage that had recently been like updated oh so they did this work yeah amazing Amazing. so i walked into essentially a a shell with a bathroom which was exactly what i needed um the space was retrofitted because the bar at 353 barton the plan was for it to be an event space okay covid now it's vacant. Right. So now they need a tenant. I meet with them. They're like overjoyed mm. and they think it's just the coolest thing that a butcher well, wants to use a space. Yeah. However, I told them, listen, guys, this is not a, a store. This is not that that's not happening here. Like mm-hmm. this is me coming in here, putting some tables, a fridge, it's a workspace. I'm just working here. Yeah. Like don't, don't get too amped up. And they said, Oh, that's cool. Okay. Okay. When we first took it over, those glass doors weren't there. It was a garage door. Ah, uh, but they said, hey, uh, just so you know, like we're going to be putting these glass doors in here. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Natural cool. light. We've got the skylights. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, that's cool, by the way, man. You got, that, you got natural light coming natural light in, in above you. That's, that's really great. Because light, light is, when you're head down working long hours, just something like real light is the difference between drudgery and like, I'm digging this. All right. That's cool. Sorry. Go ahead. So anyway, that happens. And I think they're just kind of planting the seed like, I want to reconsider that. Right. So anyway... We take over the space in August a year ago. We plug away and we're doing, we're doing well. And it's just me and one other person, uh, Shadow Candace. And we're just plugging away. We're growing the business, et cetera, et cetera. It comes up before Christmas and we're constantly brainstorming in here on how we can evolve the business. And it just two weeks before Christmas to say, let's make the investment. We'll get some display fridges. Um, we'll invest in a new butcher block and we'll allow people to come in. Cool, man. That's what happened two weeks before Christmas, and we've just been kind of rolling with it. I love it. So, um, not far from here is a little great pizzeria called Shorty's. Mm. Um, And that used to belong to a good friend of mine of almost 20 years now, uh, Joe Bozo of the Bozo Butcher family. His father, Carmine, is a master butcher. Um, And they were known for their Italian sausages, amongst other things. They used to go there. And... um, they're no longer there. Joe's now a big shot with a, with a food sales place. But one of the biggest factors for them closing their doors was how increasingly impossible it was to keep the government happy with regulations. They made it next to impossible. Um, so my question to you is, is now, that, now that you finally find home, a place to hang a shingle, what was that like for you getting the green light to have them go, yes, your space is safe, to mass produce cuts of meat? What was that like for you? That's a great question. Excuse me. That's a great question because there are different levels to what you need as far as licenses, et cetera, go. Mm -hmm. 
we here as a food production place are no different than you guys at St. James. Good for you. No, it's true. Like they're again, like, okay, funny story. We're here for two weeks. Yep. And I think it's week number, sorry, we're here for one week. Week number two, I have two people show up at my door. I've already got my, my green sticker here that says pass, mm-hmm. but I've got another health inspector and a person from OMAFRA, which is the governing body for Ontario that looks at food regulations, uh, you know, meat plants doing what they're supposed to be doing with provincially, uh, you know, they cover a whole lot of, for the processing of meat. They cover a lot of uh, agricultural issues, et cetera, licensing. Yeah, they're everywhere. They show up here and I'm like, oh my God, like what, what do I owe the pleasure of this? And they say, right. oh, we saw a package and we're like, we never heard of you. We're here to do like Oof. almost like a, a bit of an audit. And your on, heart sinks. I'm like, <laughs> this is crazy. Anyway, down. but you know, being the person that I am, I'm just like, I put a smile on it and I accommodate yep. them as, as possible. And uh, honestly, by the end of the conversation, my health inspector is such a fantastic person. And I'm so happy that she is my health inspector. And the person from Omafra that's here, she leaves and we're best friends. Awesome. So it works out because awesome. they're looking for uh, a specified amount of weight. Yep of how much is going through. So I provide her with all the numbers and she walks away and she goes, no problems here. Sign up. They're, they're just as relieved. Generally, some of them are just complete Darth Vader's. Sure. <laughs> but, but generally I've had pretty good experiences. They're as relieved as you are when you know your numbers yeah. and when you're clean yeah. and you're kind clean. So for, for uh, we've, I've never failed. I've been doing this 20 years. I've never failed uh, those tests. I think they withheld one for a few days while I fixed like um, a temperature issue in one of my fridges that was like mm. out of my control. Um, but, but generally, if you're kind, accommodating, and clean, ch- chances are you're going to, even, even if there is an issue, they're going to be like, I can tell you give a shit. Um, I'm not going to come down on you. Right. I'll be back in a week. Let's see what we can do. So... That's that's great because I've I've heard some pretty harrowing tales, but um, I guess with your scope, you're you're able to kind of be under the restaurant uh, realm, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, meat. What's it like transferring your years of knowledge to uh, a new cadet learning with with their first knife and going? This is the first period meat cutting one hundred and one. Mm. How hard is it to make that a transferable skill set? How long? How long does it take? What? What? You know, I, I have no concept. I mean, I st- usually start people with with going to learn how to saute dried rice or beans in the alleyway so that they can learn how to keep it in their pan. Like, there's certain right. little tricks I do, but you know, you have this centuries old skill set that has been passed down to you. You're standing on the shoulders of, of giants. Mm. No, I'm not, I'm not even being poetic. Like, no, I have such no, respect for that. So how, so how have you downloaded yourself to other people? Because mentorship is a huge thing, in my opinion, especially in the realm of culinary. Well, how do you approach that? I've never been asked that, and thank you. Yeah. Because it, it, like, it gives me pause, and I have to think about it. So like, I've been teaching these hands-on workshops, and honestly, that's a general interest course, and people have all sorts of misconceptions about what they're going to be at the end of it, and a butcher is certainly not one of them. Right. Um, the best that they can hope for is that they might remember one of the things that they're taught. Sure, which so, is a win. Of course, yeah. One and good it, takeaway is a win. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and they go home, and people at the end of the workshops are ecstatic that they took it. Do, will they retain anything? If I put the same product in front of them sure. again tomorrow, they wouldn't remember. Sure. So I think we have mutual ground. That means when we have somebody new come into the environment, like you're going to be able to spot in a second if that person is comfortable enough with either 
that pan when they're sauteing. Right. In my situation, it's just like, is this person, am I, am I terrified that they have a knife in their hand hmm. right now? And if they can pass that immediate test, then I think it's, it's not going to be smooth sailing, but it's certainly going to be easier. Like I've had some situations where I am, I'm nervous around mm-hmm. this person with this knife mm-hmm. if it's their first time. I, I really lucked out recently because uh, one of my new hires who's been here for about a month and a half, Sarah, had no previous experience whatsoever but she's a smart person. She has a willingness to learn and she has picked up on tasks that I've given to her. And it's, it's such a relief because yes. I've seen it go the other way. Yes. We all, we all have. Yes. Um, but to teach that skill, like I'm, this is going to sound so cliche, but like I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lot more to learn, but at, at least after, you know, 20 years plus in the business, like I have, I have a pretty strong handle on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But like my road is very similar to so many others and especially in an apprenticeship program like cooks as well. Like I didn't touch anything else but chicken and, I, and anybody that is listening to this right now will go, oh God, he's telling the story again. <laughs> this I is why you're here, bro. Yeah, right. Well, like I, haven't, I didn't touch anything but chicken for four years. If I, wow. wanted to, if I wanted to learn something else, I would come in on my own time before the, sh- the store opened at Remarks and I would do something on my own time unpaid to learn something new. But my job was chicken, ordering chicken, but you can break down a chicken with your eyes closed. It's true. With, with utter efficiency. It's true. So the idea of that, especially I think the further we get away from our, our grandparents' generation, the idea of committing to something like that is becoming like you're insane. Or like you know the, the Japanese sushi chefs that spend five to ten years just washing rice. Right. Um, there is a charm to the insanity of that repetition and that, uh, the ethos of that tradition. Do it like you know it intimately. Um, and it's like it's almost like a sol- deciding to be a soldier. It's not for everyone. But those who go yes to that, who say, yes, I will do that, that sets you apart from, from the great ones and from the not so great. That's right. So my respect level for you is, is accruing as, as you speak because, mm-hmm. because you know, um, that's amazing. I put the work in. Yeah. Like, and I'm not jumping out on a soapbox when I say that because I know a lot of guys that that didn't take that route. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Their skill set is is what it is. I just I just feel like knowing how my path started and how it evolved. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. This is going to sound even more strange. I don't know too many people like me who took it upon themselves to learn in the off hours. And my partner Aaron would would sit there and shake her head and totally agree that yeah. she's like. Do you need another meat book that just right. showed up? Oh, Do dude. you really need to be sitting in front of the computer watching these videos? Like I'm the same way. I'm 20 years in. I still I, my, I torment my kids. They want to be watching, you know, Paw Patrol, and I'm like, it's cooking show time. They're like, no, but they secretly. But the thing is, I'm like, guys, trust me. In 20 years, you're gonna thank me. You're gonna love the yeah. sound of a cooking show in the background because right. Daddy used to watch it. Yeah. But do I need another cookbook? No, of course not. But it's like, yeah, but I would <clears> argue that because that cookbook. Somebody could have a totally different take on how to caramelize Absolutely. onions that you never thought Absolutely. of. Absolutely. And, and I still watch cooking shows uh, at least four times a week because it keeps me hungry and it, it calms me. Mm. And it does the same thing to me in my, my you know, mental cortex as prepping food for loved ones. Mm. It just calms me out and it keeps me excited. And I'm like, I love this. Yeah. I still love this. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm digressing and I'm, and I'm, I'm distracting you from your story, but, um, so, I mean, I'm going to kind of hop on what you're saying and kind of answer the question with you. I think it's a combination of really good mentorship and time. 
hundred percent and commitment. That's right. I think, I think that, that, that three braided cord is the only way that you're going to become good at something. I think, I think honesty fits in there somewhere too, because I need to be as honest with these people as humanly possible. Like it's a, it's a totally different beast here. No pun intended from what I started in, which was like more of a, a supermarket type setting where it was just like, there is chicken to do all day, five days a week. Bottom line. Yeah. Not here. Yeah. There's many different responsibilities and a lot of moving parts. So yeah. I can't structure the learning around that scenario. There are tasks that do go along with somebody who's coming in green. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an organic experience. It just things pop up and they learn through a wholesale, ever-changing task list. It's, it's not A, B, C, D, right? right? It's A and then Z and then T and then Q. Like, which I think is great. Which absolutely. Is great. I, want, I want the people that I'm working with um, or that are working for me to have the ability to bounce because mm. I, I can't, you know this too. It's so frustrating because like you go back to the, the love of doing something for your friends and family. I can't be on the block all day now, all right, day. Right. Cause there's just, you're being pulled in there's a million different directions. Yeah. Right. But yeah. I need to know that like I have confidence in the people and I'm so fortunate right now, the team that I have here right now that I'm confident that I can go, I got to step out. I got to nice. go grab a few things and they can, that that's a huge win. There's the old adage of you know if you can if you can <clears throat> excuse me duplicate yourself that's that's success. Mm. If you can repeat yourself in someone else, you you're doing a good job. Right. Uh, you touched on something, and I I don't want to I don't want to pass by it too quick. You, you talked about honesty as part of the process of becoming great at, at doing something, and uh, I'd love for you to kind of camp on that more and unpack that because, you know, being a good cook is at times is the most important thing, but most times is the least important thing. Are you good at running a business? Are you organized? How are you with people? Can you teach? Are you a micromanager? Are you a bottleneck in your own business? I've been all of those things. Um, and, And to sound cliche myself, to say that I'm still learning how to be a good leader is the biggest understatement I'll probably say this year. Like I, I, when I opened my new espresso bar in Burlington, which is three weeks old, I had, I was fear and trembling. Because I was like, oh, God, I can't, I can't take the mistakes of my last project into this. I, I, can I do this? Can I do this? It's only 300 square feet. But, but like the weight of being able to lead well, um, I may be more interested in that ultimately than I am being a really great cook. So what kind of stock do you take when you have a lives literally feeding off your experience how does honesty play a role? Um, can you explain the high value currency that being able to tell the truth, even if it stings to somebody, what that can produce? Can you, can you kind of go there? I was so hoping that this was going to turn into or at least enter into that discussion because I totally respect what you've got going on and you're a business owner and I am a business owner of two and a half years. Right. So... I am a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, my honesty is being absolutely transparent with the, my team and letting them know what the expectations are for the day, what needs to get done. Uh, I'm happy to show them how much money we made at the end of the day. Yep. Uh, they know the process of how the pricing comes to the meet and how we, we reach those numbers. Like I just think it's just involving them in... As many aspects as are appropriate yes. to the building, right? Yes. Like there's there's certain things that they don't need to 
be actively involved in. Like we, we were touching on this before we started recording. Like just the stresses of running a business. It's just like, oh great, this week I've got remittance due, I've got right. rent due, I've got payroll, I've got these suppliers, like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And those are the things that I bear the brunt of. That I'm not going to walk in here and be like, hey guys, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. man, yeah. let me tell you about what's going on with me. Like they don't. That's not stuff that that needs to concern them. The fine line between letting them in and showing them behind the, the screen, but also not giving them more than, than they should. Their shoulders are only capable of a certain amount of weight. Give them as much weight that will make them strong, but right. don't overwhelm them with stupid shit. I would say that with this new iteration of Spiritual Espresso, we have a team that um, we're letting them in on the process as much as absolutely possible and not micromanaging and giving them freedoms with social media and, and try, I mean, I think hiring the right people also makes that easier too, but um, I fully agree with you on that. And I also think a smaller staff is much easier to accomplish that. When you have, when you start entering into five plus inside five to 10 people rotating staff, that's when it gets tricky. But um, yeah, I think honesty and I was talking with I had some tattoo artists on the brutal honesty that they had received like yeah that your your art shit I heard that and it was <clears throat> it was a great listen you know there's you know there's a fine line between being like a complete asshole but also having a military approach where let's listen I'm gonna, I'm gonna break your bones a little bit and and break you down mm-hmm. but I promise you I'll build you back up right and I think that's kind of like mm-hmm. I don't want to have a. I don't want to make a wide sweeping statement like it's a dying art, but I think in the era of offending people and hurting people's precious feelings, um, there's a real danger of losing that kind of clarity and uh, honesty on where you're actually at with things. Is that a tactful approach? Do you think that is best suited? Uh, well, you know what? I, I pride myself in, in having the kind of tack to be able to punch you in the head and kind of hug you at the same time and say, listen, that sucked. Mm-hmm. This, is not, this is not up to your standard. This is definitely not up to my standard. I'm going to do this with you. Watch me. Film me. Thank God for iPhones. Like, film me. Mm-hmm. Film it. Um, but, again, I'm, I'm still figuring that out. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I totally know. Yeah, and, 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 and then it's like... And it's, I don't think people realize how hard it is for a boss to see a really great person who works for you <clears throat> make a really big mistake or have a really bad attitude about something and go, oh, God. Right. I have to bring correction here, and it might affect the dynamic that we've established. Right. Or it's going to make it better. I may lose them because of this. But at the end of the day, it's your right. name on right. the business, and so, you have to run it as you see fit. Yeah. So I mean, I, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. I, the only, the only, the only way I sound a little bit like I know what I'm talking about is because I have failed so much in the realm of dealing with people, and um, I think my, one of my biggest errors was not dealing with them enough and letting them have too much freedom. Okay. And run, had to go run roughshod over things. So I'm, I'm right now I'm finding that balance between protecting the kingdom, but also letting them feel like they're part of the the kingdom. I haven't been challenged very much. And I'm not saying because I'm an unchallengeable person. It's just that I think that I have been so fortunate. Yeah. Uh, Candace, who has since moved out east with her partner, was the first person that was on payroll. Yep. And she, sets a, she casts a, a large shadow because she's such an amazing person. Yep. And I am so grateful that I had her in my life for the time that I did. So it was like I got freaked out when I had to bring in new people because I thought, 
who's going to live up to Candace? Right. So then Sarah came on board and she's been again, she's, she's the newbie to the business and she's been doing fantastic. And then John came on and he's got experience from not only Healthy Butcher, but another local butcher here in, in Hamilton. Yep. And he came over so he has a, an understanding of what to do. But like, they're just good people. Awesome. So I don't find myself in a situation like I was when I was younger and like having to deal with like the guy that maybe drank too much right. and was just a total asshole to deal with or right. the boss that was a total asshole to deal with. Like, I'm, I haven't been there yet. It's coming. <laughs> you it can count your be. clock to it. It's in the mail. Right? You know what? I have, I have to, and I don't want to camp here too long. I'm already talking too much. But if I'm being fully honest with you, I think almost every person, I would say 95% of who we've brought on as staff were, were wonderful people. Great. But you can, you can make wonderful people pissed off um, people with really bad attitudes because of you not being home enough. Okay. And I was, I was, I, that happened to me. And, and because I was like, hey, I'm the boss. I don't, I don't, do I really need to be present for that, 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 and that? I just had a baby. I just got married. Like, this is my business. I'm paying you to do that. Like, I made a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. because I thought I was owed more respect and more lenience and leeway and room than I really was able to. And, and it took me getting up my pound of flesh to realize, like, if I don't go before these guys, and show them and do it with them and them know that I that I would do anything for them I'm dead so failure I never learned under a master mm-hmm. failure has been a pretty good master it's humbling it is absolutely yeah and uh, in terms of speaking to you the, the, the partnership thing incredibly difficult I've, I've lost some very close friends as a result okay but um, you find out really quick what you don't want moving forward right and I said to myself you know what I'm never doing any business ever again unless my wife is one of my partners okay because no one will ever love me as much as my wife <laughs> and she will help me and she's smarter than me and she's a business person so I, I'm the idea guy she's the she's, she's she, she gets it going okay I'm talking too much um, I love my knife I love the feel of it in my hand I love cutting do you enjoy, do you enjoy the knife I love it. Yeah. I love it. I look forward to, like, I'm mapping things out at 5 o'clock in the morning if I wake up before my kids. Yes, like, I'm mapping yes. out how the day's going to go and what I personally need to do and then the tasks that will be directed to others. And yep. I, I love the physicality of the work. I love the work. I, I, I feel like this is kind of a trade that if you didn't like the work, well, I shouldn't say that because I've also worked at places where people didn't do the work then they were just an owner and they were not present and, yeah. you know, or a manager that was not present and all that other stuff right but I, I, I think I'm just so it's I don't think I'm a micromanager I think I'm just like I like to participate so because I like to cry. that's a great that's a great differentiation you made there mm. there is a fine line mm. that's good yeah yeah I often joke six days out of the week what, there's about one day out of the week where you look around and you go oh it, where it's really worth it. You go, oh, this is why I do what I do. You know? <laughs> and the other days we're like, what, what have I done? Yep. Um, what does that look like for you? Do you, do you have, what are, the, where are the, what are the moments or how frequent are they where you're like, oh God, this is, this is more than I bargained for. And, and what are the moments when you go, this is, this is why I'm here? Yeah. What's that like for you? I just like it when it's like busy. <laughs> so <laughs> busy with tasks 
Yeah. So a task oriented business is a little bit more stressful for me because, and then you have XYZ in front of your face mm-hmm. that needs to get done. Um, busy with walk-in traffic is something totally different. And then trying to juggle both yes. because here you didn't, you're not here when the magic is happening. Like when we're open for retail hours, like people come in the shop and the fridges are just displaying primals for the most part. There's sausages and burgers, but for the most part, it's like a whole beef rib, whole pork loin, a lamb shoulder, and people come in and they say, this is what I want. I prepare it for them in real time in front of them while they wait. Amazing. So them coming in and having like either a large order or something complicated, like takes time. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I, it's also in the back of my mind, like I've got a a wholesale list of things that need to go out that is just like driving me nuts right now. So it's just like, I've got to try to manage all those things. Right. But um, just being busy and being able to kind of bounce around on that. Saturdays are great because we're, we're not really too focused on the wholesale aspect of things. We're just like catering to customers. So Friday and Saturday is normally how that happens. So that's, that's, that's fun having the people come in and have a conversation with them about what they need. And if we don't have something particular in stock that they're looking for, then we can have a conversation about what might suit their needs. So just that flexibility because we bring in a lot of whole animals. We generally have everything that everybody wants. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it's a time, it's a timely process. And some people are totally jazzed about it. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that come back. Mm-hmm. Some people aren't. And they call or the email and say, Hey, can you get X, Y, Z ready? For this isn't for Geno's. Yeah. Why isn't this fast? Yeah. yeah. Right. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. I, so fun fact, I, um, I did an interview with Fortinos for an hour on the phone about entering their butchery program. Oh, okay. Because they open up classes and they actually certify you. Oh. And I thought I nailed the interview. I was like, yeah, I'm a chef. I've been cooking for 20 years on a restaurant. I'm like dropping all this, like, you know, this knowledge and all this stuff. It never heard back. I'm like, I thought for sure I had it in the can. Wow. I was like, I'm going to be a butcher next. Because at that time I was pretty disillusioned with just like being a chef because relationships with the, with the business. I needed an out that was still attached to the to the realm I was in. Never happened, but um, I don't really know what the point of that story was. But but there were all, all that to say that I respect this enough that there were a couple of attempts where I kind of dipped my toe into mm-hmm. the water of the idea of actually becoming a butcher. Right. Um, so I, I'm I'm stoked to hear your perspective on on mentorship and teaching and stuff like that. That's very very cool. It's young. Are you so young? Are you proud of being a butcher? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time when I wasn't, and I would be happy to tell you that I was doing something different or or actively trying to get away from it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. There was a time when I had more more vegetarians and vegans in my life. And I'm not saying that that's a defining (laughs) moment in my friendships with all the people. It's not. Yeah. Um, But like, there was a movement, and I was younger, and I was impressionable to like maybe this was kind of like frowned upon or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I embrace it because I'm proud of what I do and the people that I work with. So, and that's not only like the people that I employ here, it's the actual farmers that I work with because I know them. I've developed relationships that have been decades long now with some people. Right. I know their families. I've seen their kids grow up. Uh, like, I love I've it. been to their farms, but then there's also new people coming into the fold that are new to farming that are just doing amazing things. And I'm, and I, and I'm working with them. So like, I'm just proud of the fact that I can be as transparent as possible with yeah. people when they come through the door and I think that's why or at least that's a drawing for people to come in that's a draw they, they, they've they heard that there's a butcher in an alleyway off a bar I love it yeah which is weird but that's a selling point itself right there yeah like I mean <laughs> so we're, we're new so we get we get a lot of that like oh I, I heard about you right. and I've really had to come and check it out for myself kind of thing and it's just like we have a conversation I show them the walk-in it's right here mm-hmm. have a look um, and then we cut their meat to order as they wait so it's just like 
that level of transparency for people is just like mind blowing. It's not new. I'm I'm not reinventing the wheel. This exists in other places. Sure, um, but, but not quite like this though. This kind of feels like a butcher shop speakeasy. <laughs> it's like if you know if you know where to go, you know That's where right. to go. That's I right. I had uh, you know to those listening, I had to. I made three attempts to try to find this place. I'm like uh, third attempt. I'm like okay. There it is. Um, I don't know if I would have found it if, if you still had the garage door on this thing. Probably not. No. Yeah. I'm also really bad with directions. But anyway. Um, yeah, when people find out I'm a chef, they're like, oh, that's so cool. You're a chef. I'm sure it's the same thing with the butcher. Like, I love wearing my chef whites. I, I, love, I love being a chef. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. You talked about um, the relationships with farmers. There's certain vernaculars that, that get thrown around like, you know, relationship with farmers or I know the, I know the farmers in Guatemala who make our beans. And, but I don't think people understand the, um, the pathway to get to those relationships. What did that look like for you? How, how does Jamie Waldron vet a family of farmers and approach them and then establish a working relationship? How, what does that look like? Oh man, I, it's it's funny because when you use the word vet, it makes me seem like I'm I'm going out there with a clipboard and right. they have to hit all the marks for me. Right. But, I mean, it's a it's a mental checklist of things that I'm certainly looking for when I go there, um, or when I meet them as people. Like honestly, just like having a good person that you can tell is being honest is that's where it starts. Right. And then a farm visit inevitably happens, and you go out and see the operation, and you're like, man, this is great. Cool. Like just for like example. Um, there's a young guy, Chris Knight, him and his brother, Dan, and their father, Rob, own Airside Farms just outside of Cambridge in Air, Airside Farms. And they raise 100% grass-fed beef, and they also raise pasture pigs. Uh, and, like, I've been out there. I've seen them. Like, they're not hiding anything. Right. It's just a good, honest, open situation they have going there. And it's just like, I just love working with them. Cool. They're such great people. So, like, I'm not going to go out there and be like, let's see the feed. Um, you know, how often are they being fed? Blah, blah, blah. Like, like that's, that's knowledge for them to know. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people want to blur those lines of like farmer, butcher, chef, and every, you need to be an expert in all of those. Like those guys have an understanding of how those animals are behaving. They've, they're with them every day. Just like when they come here, they don't lean over my right. shoulder and be like, nah, right. I don't think you're doing Pick that. your battles and exactly. stay in your lane. Yeah. Like I love working with, these farmers that have been doing it for so long that just know what they're talking about and they're not pulling any punches. Like Mm. they're just honest people doing honest work. A lot of times they don't want the spotlight. You probably wouldn't get one on a podcast. (laughs) They probably don't have an Instagram account. Right. Um, Like for instance, we bring in uh, grain finished beef from Windsor area, which I'm from, um, from Sean Morris. And he raises some of the best beef I've ever worked with. Sean doesn't have an Instagram account. I don't think, think he got a cell phone for a few years ago. He's better for it. Exactly. Yeah. So, but he's just like one of the salt of the earth and he raises the best beef ever. And Aaron, my partner, often jokes that every time she sees Sean, he's going to crush her hand with his handshake. <laughs> his meat hooks? Unintentionally. Yeah. Yeah. But he's just uh, this big, robust, friendly, yeah. jolly guy I that's just it. like so smart. So anyway, sorry, I digress. No, no. Like knowing these people and having known them for decades, like... That's that's what it's, it's so great about yeah, this. You can't put a premium on that. No, and then they're bringing these animals in that they've cared for this whole time. Like right. it's not it's not a situation where they're just trying to turn a buck or something like that. Like them being such an integral part of the process. It's like I, I, I'm just doing them service. Is how I look at it. I I don't think I've, I've experienced. Um, I think the closest thing I've gotten to having a type of reverence for the ingredients I was working with was when I went uh, shopping at a open air market in Lyon, France. Not to say that I disrespect what I work with, but 
a lot of it comes from, you know, my produce guy or my meat company that I, so it's, I don't, they don't have a story attached to them. Mm. Um, the produce, the mushrooms, the eggs, they were storied. And when I cooked them, I was like, I understand what I'm holding in my hands. Yeah. So I, I kind of long for that to have your medium require you to put your hands on a product that you know something was weird from birth to death. It's like, you are not going to mess that up. You're not going to be flippant with this. This is, this demands and commands all of my skill, all of my respect. That, that's a really unique place to be. Especially when it was, we can all argue about consciousness and all that other stuff, but like when a, an animal was walking one day mm -hmm. and not the next, mm -hmm. I, I think that's pretty serious. And yes. I, and I don't, you know, I think that people that, that don't ever think about that, like they can go on through their lives and are, are quick to point the finger or, you know, jump on social media and, and say some nasty things about people. But like knowing that and being conscious of that, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know how to quite put it in words and I've thought about it a lot, but it's, it's a really big deal when you're catering to the lives of other beings and then their demise essentially becomes your livelihood. I, I can tell on your face how much that matters to you. And I, I think that's an awesome thing. You know, if, if you, if you ever talk to anybody who came from extreme poverty, like I, I, my father-in-law grew up in South Porcupine, Ontario. It's a mining town. They were impoverished dirt floors. They used to, they used to spread pork fat on toast. Um, the, the currency of a pigeon or a squirrel that was shot with a 22 rifle was everything. Mm. So because, uh, you know, generationally, generationally we're so separated from those kind of, um, not values, but, but, uh, realities it's lost on us. But I think butchers still have, still have their hand on that kind of human experience. It used to be a human experience for everybody. Now it's right. only a select few. It's been so Isn't removed. Isn't that strange? It's been so removed from our lexicon. You're one of the few, man. That, 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 that you don't even have to think about it because you can go to A&W down yeah. the street. And yeah. But where does that come from, right? So that's, that's, that's crazy. Uh, on a less <laughs> serious note, um, there's, there's always, the, in, in every pantheon of specialty, there's always an overrated aspect of something somewhere sure uh, i would love to hear from a butcher what you think is an overrated piece of meat an over or, or cut or application of like you know i don't know you know i think i think people like stepping all over filet mignon is is like that's just played right like people i think i think it's been talked about how it's it, it is one of the more tender cuts yeah. on the animal but it just is flavorless or whatever the case may be, but you're a chef. You can make anything taste good yeah. as far as I'm concerned. So overrated is Wagyu worth it. I can honestly say that I've never tried Japanese a five Wagyu or a nine. I can't remember. I would say I most, most haven't. Yeah. I, I haven't tried it. Yeah. So I can't, I can't say I have had Wagyu cross what we know as like snow beef. So I actually work with a dairy farmer who got involved in a situation where he was breeding Wagyu with uh, Holstein cattle. Okay. And I've had that come through the shop a bunch of times. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah. It's fat. Yeah. And that's yeah. what it boils down to. Is fat is flavor. When I'm, when I'm there, when I'm looking at beef, it's like, it's a meat to fat ratio for me. And so when you breed in Wagyu genetics to a Holstein cow and you've got those, that fat 
it's yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it's heavenly. So if uh, if you're hungry and you, you have the house to yourself and you you can just crush a piece of meat, what do you? What is Jamie? the butcher going for and cooking for himself at home. I'm, I'm a sucker for as like, you know, pedestrian as it sounds, I'll just like do a ribeye. I love a T-bone. Oh yeah. Okay. I've had like four T-bones in the last month and a half. My wife's like, you need to stop buying steaks. I'm like, I don't want to, I want to keep doing it. A ribeye. Eh? That, now, yeah, tracks. Uh, do you, are you a grill guy or do you win a cast iron pan or both or what? So my partner would always prefer on the grill. Yep. So we grill year-round, but if I'm by myself, I will use cast iron. Right on. Yeah, I only like cast iron because um, we we sell a demi-gloss here that's just like, you can't beat it. So I like to deglaze with the demi-gloss and then use that as a steak. But you can't do that really with a barbecue. No, so yeah. I like to utilize the cast iron in that effect. So Amazing. That's just, but <clears throat> I'm pretty pedestrian when it comes to that stuff. Like, I'm not a cook. And mm-hmm. people like will I'll always come in here and we'll have conversations about food smoking, right? Like, especially it's the summertime, everybody gets amped up. They get their, their Traegers or their whatever they're smoking green eggs. I can't participate in those conversations because I don't know anything about it. That, that's one of the things I want to hop on as, as a, uh, and get a little pessimistic here. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I personally think that smoking is overrated. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I Smoked chicken wings, lovely. Yeah. Smoked meat is good, mm-hmm. but... I don't put a premium on it, premium on it like a lot of other people do. Um, I'm not a pulled pork fan. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. I'd okay. rather have fatty brisket. Yeah, same. Um, okay, that's that's that because most people disagree with me completely. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Now that I got my grumpy uh, picadillos out of the way, <laughs> um, I do feel like sitting here as we're sitting on a milk crate, um, and, and I love I, I love the charm of just how ad hoc this is. Um, I do feel like I'm sitting in the beginning of something great. Um, I know you're not going to stay in an alleyway. So I'd love to know from you what, what you want to do next. And, and it's kind of an unfair question because you're only a year out and you're still figuring this out, but, but certainly you've thought through this. What, what is the apex full, fully realized scope of what you want to do? This has been happening at a pace that I can't keep track of. Mm-hmm. And it's been happening I don't want to say for over 20 years because that, that would be silly. Like I'm owning my own shop, never even entered into the lexicon until we moved back home to Kingsville, but like being almost forced into it hmm. at the pandemic. Interesting. That's, we've been on a roller coaster ride since then. I don't know. I know that there's certain things that I would be looking for in the next space and where that is. I have no idea. I would like a kitchen yep. so that we can produce more items. Um, I would like a, a bigger walking cooler so I can do more of what we're doing now. Yep. Um, but outside of those two things, I don't crave a bandsaw because <laughs> I would never want to wash one again in my life. Oh, see, that's a thing people never think about. <laughs> who, who's got to clean that damn blade? Some people relish the job. Oof, okay. Some people do not. Anyway, so like there's, there's certain markers that I would like to hit in the, in the next space, like 500 square feet. I was... I, I was on the receiving end of some of the best piece of information that I've ever gotten. When we very first opened, there's a woman that shops here on occasion who came in and she's a real estate agent. And her piece of advice was you work in the space until you're busting at the seams. Yes. So like grow out of the space. Don't yes. Be, don't have a foot out. Just do what you can in the space until 
We keep adding shelves. 100%. <laughs> we keep building up on the shelves. We'll use the cooler as uh, storage space yep. for dry goods above. It's just like, we will use this space until we can no longer function it, and then we will move. That is, that is wisdom. I, I, I would say that one of the greatest things I've learned is uh, be really afraid of exponential growth out of season. Mm. Don't grow too fast. Right. And uh, when I was managing... Um, an espresso bar in, in, in Toronto, they, I learned so much from the owners. And one of them said to me, Deanna, she goes, Rocky, if you take one thing away from this whole job is, is this, don't ever try to duplicate what made you great the first time. Like the DNA, the DNA belongs solely to that one thing. You can do other things, but do it uniquely in its own way. Um, and then I always parlayed that. And with the other truth that if you grow too fast, too wildly, chances mm. are you're going to fall on your ass, be, be forced into growth. I think that's sage advice. I don't, I think that this has been growing at such a snail's pace that it, in one way it's a snail's pace, in another way it feels like we're in a NASCAR. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, perfect yeah. way of saying it. It's true. Well, it's, it, that's, that's so, that's such good advice. Like we're trying to manage what comes through the door because some weeks it feels like, I don't know which way's up. And right. there's other weeks where I'm twiddling my thumbs going, Oh, yeah, yeah, I, got, yeah. I got people to pay this week. Right. So, you know, I don't know even how to daydream about where this goes. Next. I seriously don't. I, I love that. sounds silly. If but. I did sound bites, that would be a sound bite. I don't even know how to daydream. It's true. Cause there, there is, there's an element of thrill and joy and terror attached to this job. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. It, it's not for the faint of heart. Like if you're a weakling, don't do this job. I was forced into it. Yeah. I feel like I, my personality, like I am not one of those dudes or those bros to walk around and be like, I'm an entrepreneur because that I, I don't, I don't see that. I'm a, I'm a butcher that was forced right. my hand that I needed to work. Right. And how did I do that? I, I started making these different avenues and creating these different avenues to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm just so lucky that I have the friendships and the mentorships that I've built up over the past 20 years that I know a lot of chefs mm -hmm. that buy from me now. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of farmers that I've known since I was 20 years old and I'm 46. I know a lot of good people that come here to support this shop. Yep. It's just like, I think it's an accumulation of the years put in yes. to the trade. So it has nothing to do with butcher shop. I probably could have opened up a sports trading card shop and I would have had friends coming in because... I have a network of people that yeah. I, I love. Yeah. I mean, you're a wealthy man just on that, on that respect. Here's a question for you. I mean, we have to make money. We have to pay people. We have to like be responsible. But um, for me, I mean, now that I have two kids and a wife and, and living like a college kid financially, <laughs> the, 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 the gravity of wanting to make adult money is, is stronger now, more now than it has ever been. Sure. But um, at, at the same time though, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not, I'm not motivated by money. I open things and do things because I want to build a legacy of giving people something special mm -hmm. and having it live in as long as possible. And, and uh, I would love to hear you, you speak on that. I mean, the, the drivers for you, I mean, obviously there's bottom lines, but, but what is your ultimate driver? I am so restless as a person to be doing the exact same monotonous. It's funny to, to think about it in, in, in this context because I am a butcher and there's only so many ways you can cut a T-bone. Right. But I'm so OCD to be doing that monotonous task after all, after all, after all. It's so 
I'm always looking for new and innovative ways and I'm influenced by other people that are doing new and innovative things that here we are in a butcher shop that you won't see anywhere else. Like this is mm-hmm. whether by design right. or by accident, right. this is the way it goes. And, and people walk in here and go, what the yeah. hell is going okay. on in here? You're accidentally ne- unique. <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. So I love knowing that that's the case. Mm-hmm. I, now I look at other operations and other independent butcher shops and I go, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. I, I got to figure out a different way to do it. That keeps me interested in being there every day. So I've built that um, right with the help of a lot of people. I've built that. And I think that how that evolves from here is more research, yeah. more books, yeah. more YouTube videos, more traveling more too. Yeah. Travel. I don't know what that What's is. What's that? What's that with a five and a three-year-old? Yeah. Anyway. No, you're right though. It's just yeah. like, it's getting out there. It's exploring. It's talking to people. It's like, what do you need? What, like I work with some very innovative cooks and chefs and what they need and how we can have those conversations and how we can prepare that. That brings new and interesting things into the show. That's really cool. Is is to is to catch the wave of another chef's bandwidth and and through just being in proximity of how they think, you're learning. Absolutely. You know what's funny? Uh, kind of hopping on that concept. I became a better chef while living in Toronto, not working in food. Hmm. I was a barista, but seeing all of the the restaurants and the, the the, sw- the giant swath of talented chefs opening great places from Filipino joints to modern American to whatever. Just looking at the plating, I was getting a subconscious download and I went up another 10 points in my ability as a cook just, just by proximity of being in a city like that and being friends with really cool chefs. And then that amped you up to get back on the <clears throat> Yes, bands. and I'm like, I miss food. I miss my hometown. And every time I came home to Hamilton, something was literally, every weekend something was opening. I'm like, what is going on down here? And no one was talking shit about Hamilton and Toronto. In fact, they were talking about moving there. Okay. And then I met my wife and I'm like, I'm coming home. Mm -hmm. So um, this is kind of a huge diversion here of our conversation, but just kind of, you know, tacking onto the idea of just being around people, it transforms you, whether you know it or not. And and that was was a similar thing for me. Um, Just being in the ether of good food made me brought me back to food and made me better. I Isn't totally that interesting? Agree. I think that, I think that raises such a, uh, now that I think about it and reflect on my own situation like that, it's so, it's so similar. Like there's only so many ways to, well, I shouldn't say this. Well, out loud, I might get some shit for this, but there's only so many ways to, to butcher a pig. Well, actually there's a lot of different ways, but you know, um, when you can, have those conversations with talented cooks or people in food and figure out new and interesting ways to do things potentially mm-hmm. within the age old craft, then it keeps you excited yeah. to doing it again. Like I get it. Why either cooks at God, should we, should we name out like, like something that's like a, a chain restaurant, you know where they are. They surround movie theaters. Yep. Um, those places that there's a safe place. You exactly. can say those. Yeah, okay. So those places where they, they have pre-portioned out things that come from a food service company yeah. and they just, whatever. Right. Like yeah. I, I understand why people would become disillusioned with sure. that and, and hate the managers and hate their coworkers and hate the customers and et cetera. But when you have the flexibility and the freedom in an independent restaurant or an independent butcher shop to explore, to, to be a little bit more creative, mm. like we don't make the same sausages here every week. That's by design. I love that. Because I would lose my mind. Sure. If it was every week, it was the same thing, man. Like, man, that would drive me nuts. So, like, we have the flexibility and the freedom. Of course, there's 
things that we do weekly that we have to do. We make hamburgers. Yep. We tie whole chickens, whatever, right? There's, there's those certain standards. But where there's room for flexibility and creativity, like, we embrace it. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that, that that keeps us coming here. That keeps me interested. It, you know, it just, it, it makes the job, oh God, I want to say tolerable because that's not it. It just, it just keeps the, keeps the wheels moving. Yeah, I 100% agree. It, it must give you another element of, um, you know, there's success by virtue of the fact that you're still open, people are coming to you, there's commerce attached to your talent, like you are a business. But but there, it must be interesting for you to see your product live another life outside of you in someone else's vision called a restaurant. It's weird. It's like, it's like there's this duality going on here. There's what you do here, and then there's, there's pieces of you all over the city functioning in its own right. What's that like? That, that's pretty cool. It's like having little, making little children and sending them off, and it's like, I'm, I'm also there too. It's, it's funny you say that because when you rope all of those things in the same conversation, like having children doesn't allow me to be out on the town and go and visit all the restaurants. Right. So when I do have those opportunities, it's, it's pretty awesome to go into a place like Berkeley North or to um, Brewers Blackbird in Ancaster and like have those items that you're getting into their hands be prepared by super skilled That's people. That's amazing. Yeah, Good I'm not going to lie. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, like, I'm pretty absolutely. excited about Good that. For you. And they come to me and I'm, I'm flattered and, and I hope that I do right by them. But it's like, you know what? Again, like in, in the chain of command, the, not even chain of command, in the trifecta of the farmer, the butcher, and the restaurant, I know where my place is. So I would never, ever infringe on their, the other two in the equation. But it's just like when I go to a farm and see those people that care about their work, that's just so amazing. Mm-hmm. And then, again, you go to a restaurant that's featuring one of your items on their menu, and it's just like you can't help but just be like, this is crazy. Absolutely. Like, how, does this, how did this come to be? Yeah. You have to be an odd. As an aside, I just want to say, in terms of St. James, uh, you're, you're the next guy I use when, I'm, when I have an excuse to go beyond a breakfast sausage and bacon. Because right now, I have like, we're not meat heavy. But the, uh, the future projects that we're sitting on and supper clubs, um, you will be my guy. I just want you to know that as a friend and as a colleague, uh, we're not ghosting you. It's just when, when you deal with, we have a gilded cage. We have a lovely gilded cage at St. James. <laughs> we have pancakes, we have eggs, and we have uh, pork. We have bacon, breakfast sausage, and then we, we dabble in burgers. So our scope on the meat side of things is pretty pretty limiting, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm chomping at the bit to find an excuse to get to get going with you. I, I actually I was talking to, we're gonna go to Berkeley North on a date with my wife and I, and I saw your name on their thing, and I was like, I was jealous. Was like, <laughs> oh, damn it, they got him. It's amazing because we t- we talked about this a year ago. You were you were chatting with us, and it, it just hasn't happened yet. But um, I'm there in spirit. It's coming. It's coming. That's it's all a, good, man. The sidebar. Honestly, like I've had this conversation with a lot of other people too. It's just like I can't, I can't be everywhere at once, and I don't want to be. Yeah. It's uh, it's an honor when people reach out to me, and I'm happy to supply. But like as we also talked about with like licensing and legalities, I, I literally, it's not even like I want to be everywhere. I literally cannot be everywhere. Yeah, that's the other thing, and also you don't want to be in terms of, uh, you don't want to over dilute your. The brand. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. it's like, oh, no, we're lucky we were able to get Waldron. Oh, you got Waldron. That's cool. No, that's true. That, like, that's uh, yeah, cool. I mean, as, uh, as 
odd as that sounds hearing it from another person into my my headphones yeah. it's like that's that's flattering and it's and it's kind and it's it's all those things but like weird and i don't want to come up i don't know how this is not going to sound or i don't want to sound cheesy or anything hokey or anything like that but it's just like it's so flattering and it's honor it's a it's an honor to hear people say that and i'm flattered when people mention me on their menus mm-hmm. we're just again not to sound cheesy we're just trying to do the the best that we can we're not trying to be the best we're just trying to do our best there's no, nothing cheesy about it that's that's a commendable refreshing thing to hear i always say the same thing we're not reinventing the wheel we're just trying to serve a really perfectly round wheel we just want right. to be really good at what we do yeah if it's going to be scrambled eggs it's going to be proper technique right, right. and when someone comes up to you and go excuse me i just have to tell you those are the best scrambled eggs like if you can stand out making a scrambled egg yeah you're on the right path like mm. and so those find those little little spots to win and set yourself apart people notice yeah and that's and people are noticing man so i I just want to encourage you and and i'm i think that's so so cool and i and it's so great that you're a part of the store the culinary story of hamilton you know what i mean (laughs) that's cool i mean like we we definitely we're building some history here as as a city and uh you know hamilton has really strong roots with the blue collar story um the music scene is a storied thing and now finally in the last 10 years the culinary scene is now establishing some serious roots that i that i hope and believe will go on forever and ever and ever hey so we we were there for that man yeah you know? uh, no I, isn't I that cool and, and you play an integral role in that too and this isn't supposed to be a glad no. hand or anything like that i'm <laughs> no. just letting you know that like on wax yeah, you're a big part of that. Thank you. It's uh, and you know, being a North End kid growing up around on James Street, uh, it's not lost on me. Being there, it's a big deal. And then having my wife's shop next door to me as well. It's I'm kind of living the North End dream. Nice. As we uh, as we wind down here, um, can butchers have heroes? It's really easy for chefs to look up to other chefs, but but you mentioned. Uh, Hugh, Chef Hugh uh, Farnley Wittensall from, from, yeah, from yep. uh, River Cottage. Mm. Uh, he's an obvious one for you, but the, what, other, what other cues from other greats that you, that, that you found yourself looking to? Man, that's a, that's a good question. Like, there's so many people that influenced me over the years and helped me along on my trajectory. So it's like, I don't, they're not going to be people with like Instagram followings of a million. They're going to be people that were like directly affected me on my path. And that's cool. Yeah, like I, I, like I can't say that. Th- and th- you know what? Yeah. That's that's great. That's that's your. Part. I'll be like, yeah, <laughs> River Cottage, Ruthie Rogers in England, uh, Jamie Oliver, uh, right. this guy, this guy, this this right. this woman, this chef, cookbooks. Yeah, I think it's great for you though that that your heroes and you're standing on the shoulders of giants that most of us will never know. True, like, that's cool. There's some popular guys out there that that you kind of like follow along with their their journey, but I mean, I, I feel like I was direct directly affected by people who worked beside me at the table. Right. So, and having the utmost respect for the guy, the the manager at Remarks, uh, Mark Breach. Um, when I came to Cumbrae's, um, I worked with Pete Barta. He's super smart guy. He's got a butcher shop in Aldershot. I worked with uh, what's, what's that one called? Uh, J&G? J&G Meats. Man, they've been around for. Ever. Yeah, but he bought it. I think that he's into five years now. Four okay. Or five years. Okay. So I'm not crazy though because I remember like in like 1982 seeing yeah, yeah. that sign. Like, yep. yeah. Okay. Yep. So he bought that business, but he's a super talented guy and a hardworking cool. guy. Um, and then, namely George Crawford, uh, who's passed away not too long ago. He he was one of the biggest influences on me in this job, and like I have the utmost respect for that guy and what he taught me. So, like, 
those guys are are the ones that I you know admire and look up to. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, on a practical level uh, or practical question, uh, who is the brainchild behind the prepared? some of the prepared food that you do, who, who's coming up with the menu, who's executing it, and how frequently are you banging that out? Candace. Yeah? Candace ain't it like when, when, when she came on, she has a, she has a food background and, and she's a butcher of 10 years. It was just like, oh man, cool. I just landed a, a, such a catch with her that uh, she came in, she developed the meat pie recipes, the, the, the meatballs, the sausage rolls, like all that stuff. But now in her absence... Mm-hmm. She was kind enough to pen all those down. Now Alex from Amazing. Kitchen Island Amazing. takes those recipes and executes them for me. So the dream lives on. So wow. Candice was the, uh, the catalyst. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. If yeah, you ever need any food help like that, man, you let me know. I'd be happy to be a part of that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, this is a question I find myself asking guests lately because I'm only human and sometimes I, I, I'm pretty, I, don't, I don't run off cue cards. I don't run off a list of questions. I want the, the conversations to be as organic as possible, like we're having a real conversation, which we are. Mm-hmm. But one of the questions I, I'm, I'm starting to ask, they, it began with me panicking, going, I don't know what to say next. What do you want to talk about? And then I realized uh, that's a valid moment for to turn the tables on the guest and go, listen, I, I'm sure there's a question I've missed or a topic that um, I've glazed over. So I want to I want to kind of turn the table around on you and ask you before we you know sign off. What did I miss? What what other things do you think are pertinent to discuss about the the, the beautiful tradition of butchery? What what do you think people get wrong? What do people need to know that you think they don't know? What are you what are you passionate about that you kind of want to poke your hand on and, and go? This is a thing. Hmm. Now now you're in the hot seat. Sorry. I am totally in the hot seat, and I am at a and, loss. And there doesn't like, have to be an answer to that question. Sometimes there's not. I'm just, you know, I, I have a limited scope of your expertise, right? So right. I'm going to miss something. And I don't want, I don't want to, because I want, I want someone to come away from listening to this and going, huh, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I did, uh, when I had uh, uh, Dimitri, was it Dimitri? I'm blanking on his name, uh, the owner, the chef from uh, Pastor Mercado. Roman. What's his name? Roman? Ro- Roman. Oh, did I say Dimitri? I'm getting Brooks House guy. Roman, I'm so sorry. Yes. I love you. Uh, thank you. Um, he came on and it was a great conversation. We were like chewing the fat about you know how to prepare certain things. And um, a 60-year-old woman walked in and said, I listened to the podcast and I wanted to buy some things. Uh, so she was motivated and inspired by these conversations and it, and it brought someone in. She, she had knowledge on something she didn't previously have. Okay. So that's the kind of takeaways I'm hoping to have with people when they listen to a butcher speak. So uh, now that I've given you all that extra time, have you come up with any? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that butchery is such an age old craft that people have very kind of like stringent things in their mind and they're not, I don't want to say they're not open to explore, but they generally have a pretty well-defined idea of what they're after. Right. And I think that we can peel back the layers of that and explore other things that may work better or ideas that you haven't thought of before. So again, us being uh, a whole animal butchery means that if someone comes in for a blade roast, but we don't have blade roast that week, that we have chuck short ribs Mm -hmm. or we have uh, Denver steaks or we have shanks or we have... You know, any other belly cuts, like braising cuts, or there's grilling steaks that are being borrowed from other cultures, Toro steaks. Right. 
uh, Baccio, which is, uh, is also a Bavette. Like, I just think that there's other options within that. The same people that will say, I only eat beef tenderloin. Right. Right. There's so many other options. Right. But there's just so many other different things. And what I, you know, stuck my foot in my mouth when I said that, you know, there's only so many different ways to butcher a pig. There's an uncountable of ways mm. that you can butcher a pig. There's just so many, there's so much more to it than I think that people are aware of. Um, and I think that a shop like this, and this isn't trying to get, drive traffic, but I think a shop like this opens up those avenues mm-hmm. because it shows people like, oh, that's, you, I wanted beef tenderloin right. and you had to break down that whole thing. Well, what's that other cut right. there and what do you got going on and what's that good for? Mm-hmm. So because the amount of people that I've turned on to like, oh, I don't have any brisket, but I got tri-tips, you should try these nice. on the smoker. The people that come in afterwards and go, thank you. You're, you're educating. <laughs> yeah. Pork, pigs have a brisket? Well, yeah, yeah it, works. it walks on four legs. Like, right. we, lamb has a brisket. Like, right. We can do all those I things. I love that. Anyway, the versatility is unmatched. Very good. Very good. Um, are you still teaching? Can people learn from you? Or are you yeah. too busy? You are number question mark in the past two weeks that have been asking that. So it's a great question. Um, we have full intentions on bringing back the workshops. Summer is a little bit crazy. I have new staff. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's in the, it's in the foreground for you though. hundred percent. Amazing. And we get asked about it all the time and that's great. That's what's happening. That's, that, that's encouraging. It is. Encouraging. That's very, very cool. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you do cured meats like Salumi and Omafra would not let us. That's not something that we can do underneath this current light. That's a whole other beast. It no, no, again, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the space. And then, you know what, honestly, it's for me, it's one of those things like, there's only so many things that I can right. know that much about in this business. Right. I'll let the charcuterie masters do the charcuterie sure. because there's some people doing some wonderful things that I don't, I don't need to be a part of. You know, Mauro Batali has ended up turning into a serious creep and we won't camp on him, but his father, he's an ex Boeing uh, airline exec, mm-hmm. is a serious foodie and he, he made his own salumi all the time. Oh. He opened a place in Seattle called Salumi. They have lineups around the block every day. Wow. And uh, I'm really interested in, in curing meat. So many relatives who went before me did it all the time in their base. It's amazing, actually, in, in Hamilton Homes. And mm-hmm. so many of the fruit sellers, there's little hooks and nails hanging on the bricks of when they were hanging on there, drying their capicola. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's something I'd like to look at one day. Go talk to Eric next door. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he's making his own thing. He is. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hit him up. That's his cool. He's, it's I think he needs to like come he's on the show. He's, he's, uh, he's into it. Amazing. Yeah. Very cool. So um, we're, we're creeping towards the end here. For myself, asking for myself and for those, for those of us who want to know, to go beyond, you know, carving a roast chicken, what reading material would you steer them towards to start getting them hungry for the process of breaking down meat and, and getting, getting better? Are we talking about like an actual how-to manual? Uh, we can go. We can go as as a data point. We can do that as more of a mathematical side, but but it, something more of an approachable thing that you can find at Indigo. Where where would you steer them towards some some reading material? Hmm. What, what would you say is required reading? I see your little library behind I'm gonna, you. I'm going to look at do my it. little library here because. Like there's a lot of good books out there. And a matter of fact, actually Peter Sanigan of Sanigan's mm-hmm. Meats in Toronto wrote a book not too long ago, I think within the year. I saw that actually. It's a great book. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at some other options here. Like my book's out of print. So I was going to ask you, how do I get a signed copy? You don't. <sighs> it's funny. Well, good whatever. for you. Um, 
Yeah, I would say Peter Sanigan's book's a great place to start. Uh, mm-hmm. He has great recipes. Um, and then a little bit more on the how-to side, I would just point them towards, like, um, Ryan Farr wrote a book called Whole Beast Butchery. Cool. It's a great book. And I'm going to jump on that as well. I think any cook um, who wants to be avid, I would suggest you go and buy the... Um, any edition of the Culinary Institute of America's textbook. Mm, I, have, yes. I have edition number seven. Mm-hmm. And they're on like number 12 now. It has everything. Right. Everything. I mean, you, you, you know, you're not going to get the nuanced versions of learning something, but you're going you're gonna to see charts and, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm breaking down animals, it's in there as well. Um, I just want to hop on the whole buying things from England. I, uh, River, the River Cafe is a huge, huge heroes for me. Okay. And I didn't want to wait six months for it to come to uh, the 30th anniversary. I have a sister who lives in England ah. and she bought it and she sent it to me and I was like, nice. I beat everybody by about eight months. But uh, yeah, but we'll go to any lengths to get the reading material we need for river cafe. Yeah. So well, the- I'm just saying you and I, like it, it, we won't stop at waiting for it to come into Indigo. I, we, will, we will do whatever it takes to pay for pay the, pay in the pound and get it sent to us. So a book over on the shelf called the meat manifesto comes from South Africa. I really could not get it here, but uh, a, a woman that I worked with at Cumbrace, yeah. her parents are South African. She was over there. Wow. What did I do? Shameless me. Right. Send her a message on Instagram. Hey, you're whatever you it takes. Stop by. Whatever she brings it the takes. book back for me from South Africa. Amazing. So very that's cool. What we do. I'm happy with what we've covered. I, uh, I'm trying to think of, there was a couple of other things that I wanted to ask you as a chef in terms of execution, but it's, it's lost on me, but I'm not going to lie to you. I want to go out and buy a steak now and cook it at, at my house. Um, <laughs> Who are some of the other colleagues of yours that you would steer people towards if they can't make it to the East End to get to your shop that you, that you think are doing cool things? Oh, let's see here. So um, I think in Toronto, I would go to Cote de Boeuf. Yes. Uh, that guy, that place, it's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Definitely go to Cote de Boeuf on Ossington. That's right. There's a new butcher shop that opened up on... Um, Ronson, Ronsonville? Is it Ronsonville? Ronsonville. I used to live on Ronsonville. Okay. Yeah. So Russell's Butcher Shop. Okay. They're great. That's in Toronto. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to make the drive here, like Cumbres and Dundas is like, I'm, I would never select those guys. I work with them for too long to know how they do things. Like I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, so any of the Cumbres are great. Um, Toronto, I'm just trying to think. I don't know what other, we're, we're GTA, so. Yeah, there's not a ton in Hamilton. There's a lot, a lot in Toronto though, yeah. Guelph, uh, head to Trotters. Um, Where's Trotters? Because I'm moving to Guelph in a, in a year. Uh, Cork Street. Okay. Pretty much downtown. Right no, downtown. I'm learning something. I'm glad yeah. I asked that question. Just trying to think of other ones um, that uh, J&G in Burlington. Like, honestly, Peter's just like, yeah. he's, such a, he's such an awesome dude. Um, man. Yeah. You that's, pretty good, that's a pretty good start, though. I think that's good. That yeah. covers a lot of bases. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, for, uh, in terms of people, where people can find you, can you hit me with your socials, your address here? What, what, are, the, what are the tricks to finding your, your, your bat cave here in the... In your, in your alleyway. I have to go to Instagram. Okay. To find out what my handle is. J Waldron underscore butchers. Okay. Is going to find you. I mean, I don't think that there's a lot of J Waldron anybody on Instagram. Okay. I could be wrong. Chances are they'll find you. And then they'll finding find you physically. So <laughs> 353 Barton Street East is the address. We are tucked in the alleyway off of Emerald Street. So Barton and Emerald make the turn north and head down the first alleyway. That's the best way I can describe Don't it. Don't be a big dummy like me and do it three times. Message uh, me on social. Send me a text on yeah. the uh, the business phone. Like, honestly, cool. we're not hard people to get a hold of. Yeah. 
and we're even nicer on the phone. Jamie, you're the real deal. You're a class act. And um, thank you for letting me post up in your butcher shop because my AC is not working in my own shop. And uh, I'm so happy for you that you're finding success and that people are embracing you in the city. And um, I'm very excited to see how long it's going to take you to get pushed out of this space because you're growing too, too much. And I really think you will. I don't want to stress you out. But um, congratulations on a successful year. Thank you. And uh, thank you for being uh, a guest on the Rocky Talkie podcast, my man. It's been an honor. Thank you. I, can we, I, I'm going to officially say we're friends now, officially. Officially. Because we spent an hour and a half together. And uh, Mr. Compressor, thank you for being a part of this interview. We will hear you in the back. Yes, we will. <laughs> okay. Jamie Waldron of Wal it's Waldron Meats, right? Jay Waldron Butchers. Jay, well, not even close. Jay Waldron Butchers. Thank you for your time. And thank you guys for listening to this episode. We will see you again soon. Ciao.